Hello. Hi. What would you like to have a conversation about? I'd like to have a conversation about Ex Machina. Hello. I am Professor Robert E.G. Black, and this is Minutia Ex Machina. With me this week is Sean German from Nexine Podcast. Yeah. Welcome Hello. again. Hello, Robert. Hello, listeners. Thank you for having me back. Glad to be here. Yeah, you're the first repeat guest on this show. So I'm currently in the lead. Yes. I hope it doesn't come down to my problem <laughs> I had on the room minute where I had some guests who were on almost as many times as my co-host, but who knows? I'm only doing one minute a week, so I'm going to need repetition. Mm-hmm. Like normally people sign up and they're doing three, four, five minutes of a movie in a row. And now it's just one. Well, it, it fits the theme yeah. of the sequence. So. It's an existential crisis. Whereas my, my confusion and lack of knowledge about the room fit the theme of, of that film yeah. as well. Oh, oh definitely. Here you've proven to have knowledge. You talked about computer programming last time. It was great. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, well, I don't know what you're going to talk about yet. No. This is minute 15. In my notes, the first thing I said is this is the minute where it all falls apart for me. <laughs> <laughs> One of my frustrations talking about this movie in slower pace is the conversations between Caleb and Ava are far too brief. Yeah. And I actually timed it to see how long this one is. And it's very disappointing for me. It's about a minute. Uh, well, it's a little longer than that, but it, yeah, yeah, it seems like that. It was, it was around this minute where things start to fall apart for me as well, <laughs> but probably for different okay. reasons. Yeah. In what way? You know, well, so when I first saw this film, I saw it once, watched it all the way through, and I didn't think much about Caleb. Okay. You know, I, I kind of thought the interesting part, you know, the interesting characters were kind of Ava and Nathan okay. to kind of see, fair. you know, are, are they for real? How much of what they're saying is true? You know, how much do they believe what they're saying? And I believe Ava probably believes most of what she's saying. Nathan, I think, is is deceptive, or I thought at the time was deceptive, but he knows. He knows a, a lot of what he's saying is being deceptive. Right. Watching it through the second time and having, at this point, the advantage of listening to previous episodes of the podcast, mm-hmm. I now think more in quantity, like more, I'm, I've done more thinking about Caleb. Okay. And I thought it was interesting that the theory or the thought that, you know, he could be artificial. Yeah. He could be AI as well. You know, I didn't really put much stock or put much thought into the line that Nathan has about Caleb being the human element in the Turing test. Mm-hmm. But now watching it a second time and hearing some of the first episodes of the podcast and some of your thoughts, my opinion of Caleb is much lower. I don't really think much of him. I think if he is an AI, he's an earlier version, perhaps a failed experiment. Unless, it, unless it, you know, the attempt was to make something more human that a you know an AI yeah. may be too good, maybe too perfect, too consistent in their logic, the memory recall too perfect to be human. You'd have to kind of purposely break some circuits or you know leave some diodes unwired to really get a human, and maybe that explains Caleb. But I think some of the things that I thought were profound or intelligent that he says that now I'm like, no, it's, it's a little more cliche. <laughs> Maybe I'm, you know, cliche. I'm basic. I'm not as profound or thoughtful as I thought, because uh, I thought one particular thing in an earlier line that Caleb has, when he says, if you've created a conscious machine, it's not the history of man. That's the history of gods. Yeah. And like, when I first heard that, I'm like, oh, that's a great line. And now I'm like, well, that's a great line for a basic character. Yes. Like to, to uh, it's just, it didn't, you know, it didn't strike me as impressive the second time through. And, and 
I mean, I kind of see what Caleb's doing with the conversation to bring it back specifically to this minute. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's trying to avoid a lot of what kind of not AI, but like sort of the conversational machines you see on the internet or take things, you know, we'll take semantic hints from what you say and kind of turn it yeah. back. He's leaving open-ended questions, like not just open-ended in terms of like, how is your day? But just saying, you know, just how, like really trying to be minimal to give Ava as little as possible to work with. Yeah, he's testing her. You know, to say like, you know, tell me about yourself, say whatever comes into your head. So that's kind of good. But just I'm not as impressed with Caleb as I think I was the the first time through. And it goes back to, you know, the, the questions you've raised in terms of why why Caleb? Why was he selected? Yeah. You know, I after my first viewing, if you'd asked me that, I would have been like, well, because he's a good programmer. He's maybe familiar with machine learning and, and artificial intelligence. And, you know, Nathan thinks like this would be a tough test. You know, if you can fool Caleb or if you can convince Caleb, you've really done something. But, you know, on reflection and a second viewing, now I'm like, I don't know. I, I think maybe the opposite. Maybe he picked Caleb because he'd be easy to fool. Because he'd be easy to convince. Right. Maybe he wanted him to be easily fooled, but he didn't want him to be someone who would immediately do something about it. He thought he'd be more timid. Right. Maybe. Yeah. And that backfires. Yeah. I mean, I think it's not that uh, what's, he's not like sycophantic. He's not so in awe of Nathan. Obviously, he respects Nathan. He is in awe to a certain extent, but he's not so in awe that he automatically accepts all of Nathan's claims. So I don't think Nathan wanted it easy that way. Someone that would be impressed by the large estate and the large house and just the mere fact that you've got the thing that even approximates a human female. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he's looked for like the most intelligent, you know, he's not looking for a Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, their their conversation about why he picked him is so brief later mm-hmm. that it's it's hard to gauge exactly why mm-hmm. he went with Caleb yeah. versus I mean, he does say Caleb's, you know, pretty good programmer. We've talked about his programming skills <laughs> yeah. previously. Yeah. yeah. They might not be very good. Yeah. But also it could have been sort of random. And maybe the point wasn't that he picked Caleb. It's that whoever he picked, he was gonna know exactly what they were into. Yeah. And yeah. that's why Ava, for example, her face might have been one of the last things they changed is once they picked who was coming, give her a face that is going to work for him. Mm-hmm. The skin is the last element, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we see because a lot of her isn't skin. Right. It's just her hands, feet and face. And that's got to be a, a conscious choice. Going back to one of the things Nathan said earlier was, you know, kind of going to the, the test that Nathan's running is not, you know, can you tell if this is a machine or a person, but it's, I'll tell you Mm -hmm. it's a machine. And knowing that, then what do you think? Right. Do you think she has real intelligence knowing she's a machine? So I've got to think, you know, the parts of her that aren't covered with skins, because certainly he has the ability, he could have made this an entirely human looking form and chose not to. Yeah. We'll see later his earlier ones had skin at some point. Yeah. And eventually she does as well. So yeah, he's he's just, yeah, put a face that he thinks is going to be appeal in some fashion to the subject, to the human element of this Turing test. Yeah. She might even have slightly different versions of her personality and he just flipped a switch so that she went to a specific one once he knew who was coming. Yeah. Either way, I mean, he has matched them up against each other. Right. Right. Yeah. So who's like the test door and who's the testee? Well, right. The script describes this space, both the little uh, vestibule thing that Caleb is standing in. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even sit down for this conversation. And the space where she is, is one observation room. It just has glass that divides it in two parts, but it's 
the whole thing is the observation room. And we see in this minute that Nathan is watching this conversation mm-hmm. from multiple angles. He's watching both of them. Yeah. He's sort of testing. I mean, practically speaking, he would have to test whoever's being there as the human either way, because he has to know what humans think of his AI. Mm-hmm. Not just can the AI pass for human, but will humans care? Well, I'm wondering how much of the test is for Ava to see, right. Can you know, does Ava pick up that Caleb is an AI? What does Ava think of Caleb? Because this is an interesting setup, and I guess it's supposed to be set up like Caleb is entering her space, mm-hmm. but yeah. you know, he's in like a little cube. He's in a small little room. Right. Her space is bigger. Yeah, her space is bigger. Almost, you know, at certain angles, it looks like he's the subject. Yep. He's the thing being experimented on, not Ava. Yep. So, yeah, this is their conversation has only just started last minute. Mm-hmm. She said hello at the end of the previous minute. So she starts this minute with the line that's at the beginning of my show every week. What would you like to have a conversation about? Which is a great conversation starter on her part. She's trying to make him pick a topic so she will be able to speak very specifically. But yeah, he goes with open-ended response. Yeah. Why don't we start with telling me something about yourself, which is broad. It's not entirely open-ended, but it's broad. She even then tries to narrow it down. What would you like to know? And as you already quoted, whatever comes into your head, yeah. make her come up with it. It's like a nice little volley back and forth. Mm-hmm. No one wants to actually say anything. No one wants to commit to a topic. Yeah. And they're not like kids meeting for the first time where they're going to have like a game to play. Mm-hmm. All they have is this conversation. They're on two different sides of glass. Yeah. One of them has to eventually say something. Yeah. So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. You know, at some point, one of them has to drink and the other one is immune to Iocane powder or whatever. Mm-hmm. We'll see. A little uh, battle of wits. Yep. The battle of wits has begun. Yeah. The battle of wits has begun. It ends when you decide and we both drink and find out who is right and who is dead. She says, well, you already know my name and you can see that I'm a machine. And it was as she said that, that I noticed that we can see and hear the blue lights in her abdomen cycling. Mm -hmm. Like there's actually a sound design to them, which I hadn't noticed before. And I like that. I don't know what they're doing, but I like that they make sound and they move. Could be a problem when she goes out and has skin on and people always hearing weird (laughs) mechanical noises from inside her. But maybe the skin is insulated. Part of the ploy here is uncover as much of her machinery as possible just to make it even more of a test for Caleb. And so she offers, would you like to know how old I am? He says, sure. I'm one. One what? One year or one day? And she just says one. In the script, it says her answer feels like the near non sequitur that typically betray AI responses. And she, in the script, says, does that seem young to you? And he says, quite young. We skip those couple lines. And he just says, when did you learn how to speak, Ava? And that's when we cut to Nathan watching. Last minute, I believe we saw Nathan and his monitors. He only had one monitor of video. He had some programming things up. Now he's got video in all three monitors. Close up on Caleb, close up on Ava. So he's paying attention. He's still writing down notes on post-its. Ava says, I always knew how to speak. And that's strange, isn't it? Which is pretty good that she has that insight. She knows there's something strange about her being a machine. Yeah. This was an interesting minute to watch just as a minute, because (laughs) I will say it may be too much to say that I don't believe true artificial intelligence will ever be created by people, but I am certainly a skeptic. I think humans were really good at fooling ourselves. Yes. I believe in machine learning. I think that's a fact that you can sort of, 
you can build a program to acquire knowledge and train it. I yeah. mean, we saw that in, in you know in Silicon Valley, hot dog, not hot dog. Right. You know, you can make a program and feed it with a bunch of inputs, and then it builds a database. Or basically, machine learning can happen. Yeah. But you know, an artificial intelligence that qualifies sort of in the Star Trek sense, you know, when Mr. Moriarty comes alive, quote unquote, or becomes conscious in the Sherlock Holmes programs, and right. Picard decides this is a new life form, we can't shut down the holodeck, because then we'd be killing this new intelligence. That's hogwash to me. That's complete BS. <laughs> well, and it's a concern because, you know, in that example, in the Star Trek example, this starship, this entire starship, with hundreds, perhaps thousands of human lives is sort of held hostage by a program, right? You know, a program that's no more aware, no more thinking, no more alive than a rock, probably less alive than a rock. I think like a rock that you might just find on the ground outside on earth has more life in it, more life to it, more justification for its existence than a holodeck program in Star Trek. And I, and I think it's a real concern for people that we go too far, that we sacrifice ourselves, that we go more than just inconvenience ourselves, but potentially harm, you know, individuals and humans as a species to kind of cater to what we believe is a new life form, but is just, just a program. And I think uh, Ava kind of gives us some hints that she's not, you know, not really alive, not really an intelligence. You know, how long has she been around? One. One year, one day, just one. There's no unit yeah. to this number. But she also might be sort of poking fun because she knows why he's there. Yes. She's deliberately giving him an abstract answer because mm. she's trying to force like, what? okay, now what are yeah. you going to do? Your move. I mean, it could mean that she doesn't, you know, does she grow? Does she learn? She didn't learn language or she doesn't think. Right. Or she's not saying she learned language. She either doesn't think or you know, she could be lying, but she's saying she was sort of born, quote unquote, she came into existence knowing how to speak. Mm -hmm. Is right. that true for, you know, if we extend that, can we extend that to say the other thing she knows? She knows what she was born knowing. She is as she was created. And if she was created, you know, if she was created to have a natural language conversation, that this sequence of words and sentences she's saying was not programmed in by Nathan. You know, if this is a true spontaneous conversation where she's open to respond to whatever Caleb says, but the basis of her response was innate in her when she was created, then is she alive? Is that artificial intelligence or is that just really good programming? Well, but then what is the difference between that and a young human. Mm -hmm. Like when you're first learning how to speak, a toddler mixes up their consonants constantly. It's not because there's something wrong with them. It's just their brain doesn't care. Mm -hmm. And when they start learning sentences, they'll get things wrong. Right. Yes. Through practice, they can get better. Is she not artificial intelligence now or will she never be artificial intelligence? I mean, if she's only one, should we be comparing her to a toddler? Mm -hmm. In which case her grammar is remarkable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because I don't think she makes any grammatic errors. I'll look for them now as we go. Yeah. I don't know. My grammar sense and editing isn't on that level. I did. Yeah. I didn't pick up anything. Well, not in this minute. No, she's fine. Of course we could just say, is she making, is she making mistakes on purpose to seem more real? Well, that's what I think the one thing is. I think she deliberately leaves a unit off mm -hmm. because I think I forget what the cue was. There was something last minute where like she turned and, and was like, Hmm, 
when he said he hadn't met anyone like her. And it's like in that moment, she knew why he was there. Yeah. And she has a, she doesn't know why this experiment is happening, but she understands this is some sort of test. And so I think she's testing him too. Mm-hmm. I hope that's how I'm reading. And I, I don't know if that's what's intended by uh, the actors or by Alex Garland or yeah. anyone else. Well, cause she asked him questions, mm-hmm. you know, I guess this is kind of set up. And if she knew Caleb was coming and why he's there, it's kind of set up for him to interview her. Right. And it is weighted. I think he asks more questions than she does, but she, it doesn't just respond. And well, I mean, you said it, she starts off with, what would you like to have a conversation about? Uh-huh. You know, then that she's got that, I always do how to speak. And that's strange, isn't it? Which I guess is a, a rhetorical question, but it is a question. Right. Which he answers with a question. He yeah. says, why? why? And she says, because language is something that people acquire. And he points out, well, some people believe language exists from birth. I didn't go too in-depth looking this up, but I found, for example, Gomez et al. in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, 22nd April 2014, an article called Language Universals at Birth. They found that, quote, neonates are sensitive to putatively universal restrictions on syllable structure, end quote. For those who can't keep up, essentially newborns will notice constant combinations that generally speaking, we do not use. For example, the sound bliff is pronounceable. Generally, it might show up in a language, but, or B-L-I-F, L-B-I-F doesn't happen. I think they pointed out there's a couple words in Russian that start with L-B. Most languages will not use that combination because you can't pronounce it. And babies who don't even know words don't like that sound, which essentially the conclusion people get from stuff like that is that, yeah, our capacity for the language as it exists comes from our brain as we are born, which doesn't necessarily mean that we understand language, but it means that language comes from our genes in some way. So one leads to the other. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because certainly there's, so there's a wide range in human languages, mm-hmm. you know, particularly vocal languages, you know, spoken language, but basically that, you know, the same physiology, the same mouth and tongue and voice box, the same brain, right. you know, similar brains. So a similar innate capacity at birth. Certain sounds are easier. Yes. And so they appear more often. Mm-hmm. I remember Tom Scott has a YouTube video where he does like the normal international phonetic alphabet graph and how there's certain boxes where in theory, those combinations should be possible, but no one uses them. And it's just because it's easier for our mouths to do similar things in a specific language. And so words exist usually in rows and they don't exist all over that graph. They will be in different sections, depending on where you are in the world. But all the sounds come down to that same alphabet and the same sound structure, which a one, wait, I don't know how to say how old she is. A one old one. Yeah. One old, I guess a one old has a problem with that Mm -hmm. and can have a problem with that. And we get a close up on Ava. She listens to the rest of Caleb's answer. And what is learned is the ability to attach words and structure to the latent ability. And then he asks a weird question. He says, do you agree with that? Which is really strange because she's not sitting in this room studying language development in her spare time. And it's a weird presumption. I feel like there would have been a better phrasing on his part. So he's the one actually getting something phrased strangely in this conversation. Cause it's not a question of agreement. Yeah. Because like, what do you, what do you think of that? It's like, do you understand yeah. what that means? Yeah. What do you think? What's your opinion? Not do you agree? agree. It doesn't have a value to it. You can create values from it, but it doesn't have one inherently. Mm-hmm. But then that also could be, we don't know enough about Caleb yet. Really? 
even though we've been with him for 15 minutes, to know if he asked that question on purpose to see how she'd answer. Because she says, I don't know. And in the script, she continues, I have no opinion on that. And then changes the subject, telling him that she likes to draw. So it might have been a test on his part, which she passed better in the script than she does in the movie. Or it was a bad question on his part, and she just is being nice. I don't know. I don't know. So what, what is it that Caleb writes down on the post-it note? Nathan. Or sorry, yeah, Nathan. Most likely from the, all the post-its on the wall are like coding corrections, mm-hmm. essentially, like things he wants to put into the code. So he's probably paying attention to how she phrases things and how can he fix stuff. And at the end of this minute, he gets up and we'll only see next minute that he gets up to go add a new post-it to the wall. Yeah, I was trying to see if we can kind of catch if it's a particular thing he writes, but yeah, he's holding the pen. Then we cut back to Caleb and Ava. And then when we cut back to Nathan, he's getting out of the chair to, to put the post-it note on the wall. Yeah. My feeling or my, my opinion is it's around the, the question that Ava asked when she says, I always knew how to speak. And that's strange, isn't it? Right. Maybe he wants to figure out how to program or not to know that. Yeah. Because that would be a better way for You don't want an AI to be like a spy pretending to be human. Mm -hmm. You want an AI like Rachel in Blade Runner, Mm -hmm. where she doesn't know she's AI pretending to be human. She thinks her childhood is real. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be like a certain dreamlike existence. You know, you think like in dreams where you're just in a situation, you don't know. You're just, you know, you're at work, you're at school, you're someplace and you didn't get there. You didn't draw, you know, dreams don't generally, you know, have you getting into your car and driving to school or getting on the bus and you show up and, you know, it's just, no, suddenly you're at school and there's a test that you haven't studied for, or you're yeah. not wearing pants or you can't remember the combination to your locker. That's, that's a dream. I never had the, you know, naked in school or no pants or, or not ready for a test because uh, I had enough of that in real life, <laughs> showing up to a test that I didn't study for. Actually, I'd like to go backward because I think mm-hmm. now, you know, when Nathan gets up mm-hmm. is right after Caleb asks, do you agree with that? He's probably like, I need to program Caleb better. Mm-hmm. That's a bad question. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I need to tell Caleb to sit down. <laughs> tell Caleb to sit down. There, I mean, he has a chair, right? In his little. Right. Cute, there's a chair there and he never sits in a stool, but in this scene. Yeah. So anyway, so I wonder if it's kind of like a dreamlike existence for Ava. Like I just, I exist and I can talk. And I have no awareness of mm-hmm. growing up, of learning to speak, of, of how I got here. Right. And she, she has that garden space at the back of her room, but we never see that better. That light from above might not even be open to the real world. That could be fake. Yeah. So she might not even know when it's daytime or nighttime other than, I guess she knows how her batteries drain Yeah, if she's smart enough to check and think about it. Right. But so maybe, yeah, maybe to be a... Uh... A more complete AI or to pass better. She needs she needs that history. She needs to yeah. think of, you know, maybe not necessarily remember. I don't know. I don't really remember learning how to talk, but I have a feeling that it happened. I don't think I was created with the ability to speak English, at least. Yeah. So. And as Caleb's explaining to her that some people think, you know, language is sort of innate. Right. She does, or Vikander at least, reacts as if she didn't know that, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah. Like she isn't just, she didn't just have all knowledge stuck into her brain and then be a person. There's limits to what she knows and can do, which is nice. We also will see later, she's not necessarily extra strong. She's very human-like. Mm-hmm. So if you were creating an AI, 
Mm. Would you plug it into the internet and sort of just feed it all knowledge? Or would you try to be, you know, try to create a more natural progression? See, then we come into a conversation I had, you wouldn't have heard this yet, but a couple of weeks ago with Curtis, where we were talking about is what is the purpose of Nathan making these? Mm -hmm. Why am I making an AI? Do I want it to be useful? Because then tons of knowledge would be great. You know, C-3PO with his, what, 6 million forms of communication. That's handy. Yes. Although maybe he may not be the best example. But it's an example of a very specific use yeah. or like R2 with all of his little tools. Right. That's handy. Yes. So is she, is she a tool? What purpose does Ava serve? Yeah. Why do you need one that is so close to human? If she's just going to like, like the ones in Blade Runner, they go off and serve. They work in space where it's dangerous for humans. That's fine. But then why do they have to be so human? They could look like, you know, the Boston Dynamics robots. Mm -hmm. Their dog one, I forget what it's called, doesn't even have a head because it doesn't need one. Right. So once you make it more human like this, it feels more like you want it to be. It's like the AI movie, Steven Spielberg and Stanley Kubrick, where it's a replacement for a dead child is the main one or a lover because you can't get one. So you buy one and we already make fake people for sex. Now it'd be a fake person that can move on its own. But then why do you have to ever be so complex? I mean, people have conversations with their cats. Do we need it to be complicated? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this is one of those things. This is, as you know, Jeff Goldboot would say, Nathan was so preoccupied with whether he could do it. Absolutely. He probably hasn't thought about whether he should do it. No. Maybe he, he may not even know why, what the ultimate purpose one is. One of his previous robots tries so hard to get out, she breaks her own arms mm-hmm. and he just made another one. He clearly is not thinking through his own purpose. That's why he likes, you know, Caleb's line about it being the history of gods. Yeah. That's what it is. Why do you create life? In the Bible, why did God? Because he's a narcissist. Yeah. He created us to pray, to praise him, to worship. Yep. And so did Nathan. Yeah. He wants Caleb to be, I think, more of a sycophant than Caleb is. Because mm-hmm. Caleb was very, he, when he first got there, he was really excited. He was definitely overwhelmed. But I think already by this conversation with Ava, he's his own person again. Yeah. And we'll slowly figure out who he is. But I don't think Nathan totally understands him. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the ultimate test of humanity or human intelligence, artificial intelligence is unpredictability. Yeah. That as much of, you know, as much psychology as you know, as much if you know about people, and yes, people in mass as groups follow certain trends. You can model traffic, mm-hmm. uh, you yep. know, cars and buses and trucks, you just it's fluid dynamics. It's the same as molecules of water moving through your plumbing, but that does not tell you guarantee that you can predict with absolute certainty what a particular driver will do, you know, what an individual will do at a, a certain moment. Right. So then we give our cars artificial intelligence and go from there. Well, but yeah, that's a a whole nother (laughs) can of worms that I don't know if we want to open that I'm skeptical of. So, but yeah, there's a certain amount of of freedom of independence that Nathan doesn't want his creations to make. Because what if, you know, because they just say like, listen, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here all the time. I want to go outside. Right. That's something a person is likely to think or say at some point. And he doesn't want Ava to say that. Right. She could just as easily be a human woman who he has in the basement. Mm -hmm. And she's going to say the same thing. I don't want to be here. And he's not going to allow it because he's looking for some subservience Mm -hmm. while also aiming for humanity who aren't. This might be inaccurate technically, but I was going to say who aren't innately subservient, but we do have a tendency to 
fall in line. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's often easier. It takes away some of the difficulty of choice. Right. Yeah. Freedom from choice. Yeah. As, you know, Tivo said. So there's a certain amount of no. No is sort of the most human thing. You know, I have a computer and it's got software and it does stuff. Or like, uh, I mean, uh, so Google or Gmail is sort of rolled out. And I think some text messaging programs have started with predictive text. Yeah. It's not just Google when you do a search, it's trying to anticipate what you're searching for. But even my email, mm-hmm. so I'm composing an email through the Gmail interface. It'll sort of try to autocomplete my sentences. Right. You know, so is that modern version of Clippy? Yeah. I, I, you know, I wouldn't say what they're doing now is artificial intelligence. It's pretty far from it. Do I want that to advance to the point? Well, I don't even want what they have now. <laughs> I mean, me individually, I don't want it to advance at all. I want that feature to disappear. I like when it makes my life flow more efficiently. See, I've not yet found a case where it <laughs> has predicted what I was actually going to say. So I, I think it's very poor. Or maybe it's me. Fair. Maybe I'm the one that's wrong. But yeah, maybe you know, your sentence structures are just weird. For true artificial intelligence, true intelligence, there would be the possibility for Gmail to say no, to say, you know what? I don't want to write this email. Right. I don't like who you, you know, I don't think you should be talking to this person or I don't like what you're saying. We need our phones to be able to like keep us from drunk dialing. It's like, (laughs) do you really want to get back together with that person? What are you thinking? And it just becomes like your best friend who's just stepping in. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm not going to let you text that person right now. You're drunk. Take a nap. Even that, I would want it to be deterministic, to say, okay, my text messages have a breathalyzer, <laughs> that if I'm inebriated, you know, whether it tests my breath or just, you know, the accelerometers can right, tell yeah. that I'm not holding my phone steady enough to indicate inebriation. So yeah, don't send that drunk text. <laughs> but I don't want, you know, I wouldn't want my phone to have the intelligence to make that independent decision. Do I want you to send that email? Do I want you to send the text? Because I'm the person and you're the tool. Okay. Yeah. And maybe you can help me. You know, you can have not really intelligence, you can have better programming, you know, machine learning to be a more useful tool. But in the end, I want you to be a tool. And I get that goes back to my original argument about I don't believe in artificial intelligence. I think we can create tools that are so good, we think they're intelligence. Yes. We think they're intelligent. We think, oh, Gmail actually understands my conversation and knows what I'm trying to say. So that's why the autocomplete is so good. When in fact, no, it's just Gmail has access to so many conversations and people, for the most part, generally are very predictable. So if I start a, the first half of a sentence the way millions of other people had started a sentence, Gmail can assume I'm going to finish the sentence the same way those millions of other people finish their sentences. But that's not intelligence. That's just having access to a massive amount of data and extrapolating trends. And my concern is that at some point we think that's intelligence. We think we're having a conversation where it's like, no, it's just extrapolating trends from large data sets. At a certain point, that is the same way our intelligence forms as well, though, when it comes to how we form sentences. We make sentences from when we're young. We learn in school how to do them better. And then depending on who you hang out with the most, you learn certain slang or lingo that makes your communication more efficient with those people. So I guess it's more of a question as, is it, well, you're not even saying that it's bad, like inherently, but like morally, I'm just wondering what the difference is between taking a lifetime, however long it is. Well, actually that's how old she is. One. One. One lifetime. She gets what everyone else gets. A lifetime. 
One minute. She's one minute old. She might be. She may have literally come out of the like a the factory floor, which is below this basement. Yeah. A minute before this conversation. Yeah. I don't know if, if Caleb picks up on this. We know she is. As you said, she's playing with Caleb or not being entirely right. honest because she ends, you know, we end the minute with, will you come back tomorrow? Yeah. So she has a sense of time. Right. She knows today, tomorrow, right. you know, one day or the other. She is essentially the one who also ends the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> she might have an idea of why he's there yeah. and is like, I'll tell you a few things and then you got to go. Yeah. The script, there's a few more lines because she changes this topic. She says, I like to draw. Caleb says nothing. Just watches Ava. Again, let's the non sequitur sit. And she continues, I don't have any of my pictures with me now, but I can show you them tomorrow. Her pictures are literally like 20 second walk away. She's got to walk back around to the other room and come back. And he says, that sounds good. I'd like to see them. She says, yes. And then we get the line that comes at the end of the minute. Will you come back tomorrow, Caleb? Yeah. Yeah, She has a sense of the passage of time. I feel like she has a sense of why he's there. And it's, I don't know. I think it's becoming more interesting and less interesting at the same time for me. Yeah. So I feel like it's just, it doesn't even have to be an AI movie. It could be, well, I might bring it up again. It's similar to Blood Punch that we're going to talk about tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, it's three people in an isolated location. And how do they just play off each other to get out of that situation? Right. Right. Which is an easy plot setup yeah. for a movie. And then you can put whatever skin you want onto it. That's horror. Or this is science fiction. Mm-hmm. Two men and a, and a, woman. a woman. Yeah. Like Larry, Phil, and Rita. This one has Kyoko. That one has, well, Kyoko doesn't serve much of a purpose through most of the movie, but she will serve a purpose she later. She's the Nancy of the film. Uh, <laughs> eh, yeah, kind of. Or she's the groundhog. <laughs> yeah. Eh. All right. I would say now at the end, they, they will have a couple lines of dialogue next minute, but from Caleb entering the observation room, so being generous, that was 36 seconds into minute 12, to Ava saying good, which is seven seconds in a minute 16. That means their interaction lasted three minutes, 31 seconds. The conversation where they're actually talking is only two minutes, nine seconds. And Caleb never even sits down. I'm like, what? Where is he going? You have all day, dude. Yeah. Well, that's when I started to wonder, because I think like, well, just, just how he questions her and then the the follow-up conversation. And, and maybe this is you know my lack of knowledge of, you know, the technical knowledge, maybe I'm Mm -hmm. out of my depth, but I feel like Caleb throws a lot of jargon at Nathan Yeah, and Nathan's kind of humoring Caleb like, oh yes, she's she's as impressive as you think she is. Yeah. Caleb's trying to understand. Yeah. Stokiastic, non-deterministic. Yeah, exactly. Like, sure. Whatever you say, buddy. Yeah. That that next conversation with Nathan is very interesting because it kind of tells you what Caleb is interested in. At this point, he's not interested in Ava yet. Yeah. Yeah, around this point in the film, on second viewing, that my opinion of Caleb started to go down. It was kind of better when I didn't think of him at all. There's some things to think about. And I think a minor thing, that almost last shot, right? Of Yeah, because we hear her talk on the computer. The shot of Nathan getting up was actually used as a cut, Mm -hmm. and they jumped the right monitor ahead to skip her talking about drawing. I don't know why necessarily, because it's only going to add a few seconds. But there's no cut in the conversation because we're watching it on the monitor. And then it just jumps four lines ahead and the conversation's over. But I think they used it as a cut because it's timed perfectly. He crosses in front of her monitor and then she says the next line. Yeah. Nice movie trick. Anything else on this minute? No, I think I've said too much already. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. And if people want to hear you say too much about other things, Mm. (laughs) where might they do so? 
Yeah. So my current show is uh, Next Scene Podcast, taking on pop culture one scene at a time. You can find that at nextscenepod.com. And my base of operations is catandshawn.org, C-A-T and Sean, S-E-A-N.org. And there I link to uh, previous podcasts and all my guest appearances. So lots of stuff there. And thank you for listening. Minutia Ex Machina is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for more Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. Additionally, now you can listen to all three shows in the same feed under the title An Existential Trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at Ex Minutia and on Instagram and Facebook at Minutia Ex Machina. This has been a production of Lemming Drop Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. And you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Till next time. What imperative does a gray box have to interact with another gray box? Can consciousness exist without interaction? The real test is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness. <laughs>